0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, um, you know we're marching into spring here. We had a little bit of a cold week, but uh, looks like it's going to warm back up. I mean, I think. Uh, spring's here to stay maybe
1: yeah i hope so and it's nice the pollen's been kicked back a lot gracious it was it about was a week of horrible for a week rough.
0: it really was yeah, yeah. And the sinuses were kicked up too so uh yeah, yeah but we got some a uh, little bit of sports got the march madness going on with basketball yeah it's always always fun
1: yeah it's great athletes out there it's just it is fun to watch Clemson, yeah, march madness Clemson's out <laughs> Clemson, yes, I heard that. <laughs> but I
0: think uh, Carolina's women are still so, number one in the nation. Hopefully
1: the women, yep, will stay in. We'll, As we'll usual. <laughs> That's your, your, right.
0: Your women basketball is it's unbelievable. Something with that. Yep. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. Um, speaking of incredible, I mean, we've had some uh, a pretty incredible week in the stock market mm. here, unfortunately. Um, we're going to talk about that. You know, I mean... Uh, we have bank failures, <laughs> so it's a big deal. It's all a big deal. Yeah, lots going on in a week. Um, you know, and we're recording this on Wednesday. Who knows by Friday? You know, a lot could change. But we're going to talk about these bank failures. Obviously, very unusual. Um, you do have bank failures every year, but you know, these were a couple, couple big ones. And um, so what are that? What does that mean? Has the dust kind of settled on that? What does it mean going forward for your portfolio and? And for the economy, so we're going to talk through that.
1: Yeah, that's a good article, and we'll also um, really switch gears a lot, um, go on the softer side a little bit, but uh, talking about how relationships play into happiness and contentment, and just thinking specifically how finances uh, can can play into that as well, so it's a, it's a good article, but it's talking about joy and happiness.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great thing to talk about. It is, it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> Sounds great. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 28 years experience in financial planning and investment advice.
1: I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner and have been here at the firm for almost five years now.
0: And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Um, You can find us there on our website, moneymd.net or on iTunes. Um, Every Friday, listen to us anywhere in the world and uh, check us out on our website, moneymd.net. We have a lot of resources there. We have our old shows um, there by topic, and you can um, just sort through those, and, and you can listen to, you know, all the past shows. We talk about all sorts of very useful information. And um, so we'd love to have you, have you listen in mm-hmm. every single week. Um, well, Matthew, and, you know, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Mm-hmm. What's um, that? So what it is here is the average <laughs> credit card holder um, in South Carolina has $7,063 of credit card debt and Americans on average carry a balance that's 53% of their credit cards um, limits.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So of the credit cards, 53% of them carry the balance from month to month. Right. Which right, is, right. which is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the pushback we get on credit cards is, Hey, I don't, I don't carry a balance. What's, what's the harm in that? Right. And the danger that we see in that is, you know, a lot of people do carry balances and that, that is where you Dude. can get into the trouble with, with, the, with the interest rates.
0: Yeah. average they carry half of it. So that's, yeah, that's terrible. Um, you know, and in fact, I mean, what's also disturbing is I was looking at the graph um, of the history of credit card balances mm-hmm. in the U.S. And, you know, b- during the pand- before the pandemic, we were pretty high, and it dropped way down during the pandemic. Interesting. You know, because people got, I guess, these stimulus checks. Mm. They put a lot of that against their credit cards, nice. and the, the credit card balances dropped way down. Well, unfortunately, here in the past two years since then, the balances have crept back up. And now we're back above the pre-pandemic levels. Well, we we're at the highest balances ever on credit cards. So, yeah, just super important that you you know watch your credit card balances. You don't want to have any credit card debt. That's really the prescription here is mm. is, is pay off your cards once and for all right. and get on a path where you have an emergency fund so that you never, ever have to rely on credit cards again for those unexpected expenses. Yeah, that's good. So there you go, and that's the fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic: bank failures. What do they mean? Um, well, this and this is based on an article from New York Times um, very recently. Uh, German Lopez and Matthew. I mean, it's been quite a week. I mean, in the stock market, in the economy, as we've seen this rapid collapse of several regional banks that amounted to the second and third largest bank failures in history. Wow. This past week. Yeah, I mean, now a couple of those banks were involved in cryptocurrencies. And so it's kind of understandable that these might be in distress given the 60 plus percent drop in Bitcoin and these other cryptos last year. However, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, um, this past weekend uh, and the government's rescue of the, the, the uh, depositors over this past week. That left many of us, you know, kind of rushing to understand what, what the details were, the financial system and how that could possibly happen mm. to that bank. Um, and it can be really complex, but we're going to walk through some of the basics today of kind of what happened and uh, what does it mean going forward. Mm. Um, fortunately, it looks like the dust has kind of settled a little bit on on these bank um Failures. I mean, having said that, we have Credit Suisse, mm. even today that's <clears throat> that's um, getting a lot of attention. Um, but overall, it looks like you know these four regional banks that failed over the past week were due to various factors, and and, and looks like you know it was kind of isolated to those banks. Um, the largest but and most significant of those was uh, Silicon Valley Bank (SVB) which failed without any crypto exposure or anything extraordinary like that. So, you know, the questions everyday Americans are asking, I mean, why does this, why should this matter? You Mm -hmm. know, what does this mean going forward? I mean, after all, SVB is a relatively small bank and most of us, you know, had no money in it. You know, it was out West in Silicon Valley. Um, But the short answer is, you know, there's the potential for wider fallout. When banks collapse, you know, other people sometimes... They, they they get nervous about that. Um, they get nervous about their own banks and, you know, their investments. And they could start pulling money out, hmm. which there could be something called contagion, hmm. where it spreads. That's the concern.
1: Yeah, but Steve, even healthy banks don't keep enough cash on hand to pay out all of depositors, all of their depositors. Uh, so if too many people panic at once and pull out their money, um, which is a classic bank run, It could lead to a broader financial and economic calamity, which is what you're referencing earlier. Of course, that hasn't happened since the Great Depression. And lots of um, the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve have tried desperately to stop uh, this from happening. A financial crisis um, you know, could ensue, but again, they're trying to put in measures that this does not happen. In fact, an effort in an effort to prevent a panic at other regional banks, uh, the government took the unprecedented step to ensure all deposits at SVB and others just beyond uh, to go beyond the the standard two hundred fifty thousand level that's covered by the FDIC insurance. That is important because there were large deposits by companies which far exceeded that level, um, and would they basically guarantee that they could pull all of that out? Um, that could have as easily led to other banks seeing these large un, uninsured deposits um, being pulled out as well. But, the, again, the government's trying to stop that scare from happening in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been a lot of safeguards that have been put in place over the years, you know, since the great financial crisis in 2008 um, to kind of help present, prevent these things from happening. Um, but, you know, it's not foolproof. And if people get nervous and start pulling a lot of money out, then obviously that can put banks in distress. So how do we get to this point? Well, I mean, to answer that, we'll need to kind of dive into some more details about Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, as the name suggests, the bank portrayed itself um, as as focused on lending, kind of the leading edge um, of technology, And it served thousands of tech firms, Um, yet SVB they invested in their money in something a lot less exciting. It was U.S. government bonds. Effectively, you know, IOUs from the federal government. Because the federal government has always paid its bills, I mean, U.S. bonds are widely Mm -hmm. considered the safest investment. So SVB's experience shows that there are moments though when these safe investments may lose value particularly when interest rates start rising rapidly, Mm. as we've seen over the past year. Um, So, you know, it can get a little bit, it can get a little bit, um, the details can get a little bit technical, but bonds are effectively money that the government borrows from, from the buyers of those bonds, the public, and, you know, before paying them back later with interest. The market conditions in the Federal Reserve um America's central bank they helped determine that interest rate so when SVB bought those long-term bonds back several years ago interest rates were very low mm. um since then though the federal reserve as we know has has raised short-term interest rates dramatically and they've increased those rates to get ahead of inflation and to try to slow the economy so with that historic rapid rise in interest rates um, new bonds can carry interest that's multiple times higher than mm-hmm. the ones that SVB bought with their portfolio back several years ago. And that makes those old bonds worth a lot less than what they paid for them. So when SVB, when Silicon Valley needed that money, they needed to sell the bonds to raise cash to cover the customer withdrawals, it could only do so at a significant loss. So if they didn't have to pull the money out for those withdrawals, then those losses would go away if they could have held them to maturity. But forcing them to sell those bonds early with all those withdrawals, that forced them to realize the losses, and they ended up short on enough money to cover those withdrawals and their other deposits. So that's why the FDIC had to step in, take control of the bank, and protect customers' who had those deposits. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, th- and this has been brewing for a while with this specific bank um, as venture capitalists and other wealthy customers on social media and in private chats started discussing some concerns that this bank can no longer pay its depositors. Some began to move their money out of the bank and the situation really just spiraled, spiraled quickly. Uh, the The unique thing about this failure is that the SVB bank had a lot of large deposits in these from these venture capital firms, and it chose to invest those funds, like you said, in long-term bonds, rather than in the typical short-term bonds that don't fluctuate as much when interest rates rise. Right. This was an obvious, we would think, and you know, this this article would agree, a lapse in judgment, um, and it, it appears to be largely isolated to this one to this one bank.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people in the financial industry, and in the banking world, you know, started questioning the safety of these long-term bonds back in 2021 when inflation started to rise and the Fed started talking about raising rates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's precisely when we exited intermediate bonds in our portfolios for our clients, and we went to very, to much safer short-term mm-hmm. bonds um had the bank done the same thing, you know, they would have undoubtedly still be around still been around today. Right. Unfortunately, um they didn't do that. So they were kind of sleep at the wheel a little bit. Of course, you know, financial regulators are supposed to to stop these kind of crises, but um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank's problems were weren't caught until it was too late, which many experts say was a result of insufficient oversight. Um, but you know, under pressure from banks in two thousand eighteen you know, Congress passed the bipartisan legislation that shielded smaller banks like SVB from the more stringent rules. Um, the banks argued that they were too small, to, and they would pose little risk to the broader financial system. But, you know, of course, SVB's collapse in the aftermath suggests that banks were, were wrong about that. You know, even smaller bank failures can threaten the financial system as a whole – and prompting some experts, but not all, to call for the federal government to get more involved and and to tighten up those regulations for those banks. Um, we'll have to see how the results of the new legislation regulations mm-hmm. uh, placed on these banks play out. You know, in the coming year.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting. You know, again, to many, the Federal Reserve's involvement in in containing this fallout of this collapse may be puzzling. Uh, The Fed, after all, has been rapidly increasing these interest rates to slow the economy. An economic slowdown inherently involves some businesses, including banks, ultimately failing. The Fed's concern is that this bank's collapse or other bank collapses could go too far and pose bigger economic risks beyond just this individual bank. The economic slowdown that the Fed hopes for would still affect everyday Americans in, in both lower prices and also potentially higher unemployment rates. But that outcome is is better than an uncontrolled bank, bank run that topples the financial system and takes the rest of the economy with it.
0: Yeah, that's right. So what does it mean, you know, likely uh, mean for the stock market and for your investments with what's happened over the past week with Silicon Bank and these other banks, Um Well, obviously, you know, markets took a significant hit in this past week, um, dropping about 5% in just a few days. Um, You know, this week, some of that has recovered, but, you know, today's a down day. So who knows? I mean, how it'll what end up the week here. And no one knows if we are out of the woods with this. But one thing is certain, you know, and that is the Fed is going to take a step back, I think. And they're not going to raise a half percent next week Mm -hmm. at their Fed funds meeting which I think concludes on the 22nd, um, you know, that discussion has gone away. And now most most analysts believe they will likely only raise a quarter point and maybe not at all. And maybe only one more time after that, you know, so this latest kind of crack in the banking system has surely tied the Fed's hands a little and, and, and has prevented them from getting too aggressive. And that seems, you know, pretty certain for now um, that that will wind down the interest rate hikes and will, and then they'll probably take a wait-and-see attitude um, without risking any more banking issues. So that pivot to a much more dovish approach by the Fed will likely be good news for the stock market in the long run. Um, you know, so the silver lining is that while the stock markets have taken a step back with this new, new level of uncertainty that's been caused by these banks, um, the more cautious approach the Fed is going to take in raising rates, as a result of this, could actually be a boost for the stock market. Also working mm. in the market's favor now is the lower 6% uh, consumer price index number, mm-hmm. CPI, that's inflation good. number. That came out this past week, um, and that shows the economy indeed is slowing, and uh, it's easing the inflation from last summer. Mm-hmm. So, provided that you know we don't see another shoot a drop in this banking scare, I, I think we could see markets regain some confidence in the Fed's direction and the interest rate, you know, rates going forward, um, and that could lead to new gains in the markets. So we don't know. I mean. So while, you know, the banking issue was certainly a scare for the markets this past week, I mean, and highlights the risk inherent in this recovery, it appears to be contained to a few outlying banks that were not well managed. In the long run, it, it could actually be a positive for the market this year as the Fed, you know, kind of tones down their aggressive, aggressive approach and these rate hikes. Uh, or, or, you know, play out, hmm. they stop the rate hikes, give it some time to recover and adjust. That actually could be a positive.
1: Yeah. And just one, one thing on that, you know, that's interesting. When we look at the stock market, the fundamentals are the earnings of companies. And, you know, a question that is, that is good is, hey, how is this going to affect my portfolio long term? A question is, well, does this affect, you know, IBM's earnings? Or does this affect Apple's earnings? Or does you know these other just right. very large companies? Do, does does this bank closure affect their earnings? And the answer is probably not. And so you do look out, you know, long term, and you say, hey, like, are we going to get over this? The answer is is yes, because we believe fundamentally, you know, the stock market's made up of companies that have earnings that are positive, and that that's what drives exactly. the returns in the markets. So
0: exactly, yeah. I mean, it could be a buying opportunity. That's for right. Some of that's these right. stocks. So. Definitely. All right. Well, that leads us up here to the question of the week.
1: All right. I'm going to read this question and and let you answer it, Steve. I'm going to be interested in your answer. But the question is this. Uh, My house is worth $120,000 and I need to do some major foundation work costing $20,000. Is that a good investment if I were to stay long-term? Is that okay? And this is a second question. Is it okay to finance this if I cannot afford it? If you think think we should do it?
0: Okay. Good Good question. Real good question. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I mean, when it comes to a house, of course, or just about anything, I mean, the foundation is, is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's built on top of the foundation. Mm -hmm. So if the foundation goes bad, then you're in trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's true with anything, but particularly for a house. So, um, yeah, I would, you know, looking at the foundation, you know, if the house is worth putting you know the work into the foundation and obviously it is 120,000 thousand dollar house 20,000 foundation work then I think you should the person should do it for sure um because Mm. uh yeah I mean if the foundation goes bad and splits and starts settling in the wrong direction you know in more than one piece not good this not good the house can split apart you have major major issues Mm. um all throughout the house and, and it could even make the house worthless you mm-hmm. know if it got bad enough so um yeah i think it's worth the the, the uh, cost um to shore that up you know the foundation should you know remain one piece of the house right, and right. when it starts coming apart and the foundation cracks you're in trouble but they can do some things it's expensive but they got to dig all around it mm-hmm. you know pour concrete and yep. put in rebar and shore up the foundation that's that's a big deal so doesn't surprise me at all but it's a it's that much yeah
1: what about the the putting it on financing you know if you you can't afford it obviously you you you, recommend doing it
0: yeah i would i mean obviously you you wish you didn't have to do that you know do a home equity loan or something but um in this case i mean you got to fix the house you know um trying to
1: pay that off maybe aggressively yeah i would
0: definitely want to pay that off aggressively now and you know home equity loan is going to be at you know a Lot higher rate. I don't sure, know six sure. and a half, seven, seven percent, eight percent. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but it's pretty it, high. It's going to be high. So, um, so you're going to want to pay that off as fast as possible. Um, obviously, you can turn around, and sell the house after it's fixed, but you got to really fix it before mm. you sell it anyway. Yeah, or sure. else, it's not going to pass an inspection. So, uh yeah, I, I'd fix that one.
1: Good, good answer. Very detailed. I like it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> good question. Then
0: there you go. And that leads up here to our next topic. Um. Genes are nice, but uh, joy is better. So, uh, yeah, Matthew. So, tell us what does this have to do with finances and and what is this? Uh, yeah. You know, why is this important to us?
1: Yeah. This is from the Harvard Gazette. And this is a study, and we'll go through the study in high level, but it's really interesting. We all know that good financial health is tied to good physical health. Uh, in fact, there is a very large, uh, high correlation between good physical health and happiness. And having great financial health to that end um, can be can play into those two as well. And so today we're gonna explore, uh, again, just how relationships can affect happiness and um, thinking through that in light of financial planning. And so there's a Harvard study, it's almost 80 years old, and it's proved that embracing community can help us to live longer and happier. Uh, Scientists started tracking the health of 268 uh, Harvard sophomores in 1938 during the Great Depression. And they hoped that the long, longitudinal study would reveal clues leading to um, healthy and happy lives. And they honestly got more than they wanted. Um, after more than 80 years of studying wow. these, these men, because um, it was an all-male school at that time, mm-hmm. research have, uh, researchers have collected a lot of data around their physical and mental health.
0: Yeah, the original cohort um, recruited as, as part of the study um, back then, the grant study. Only 19 are still alive today, wow. um, all of them in their mid-90s. Um, you know, women, like you said, weren't part of the study because it was all male school at the time. In addition, though, scientists eventually expanded the research to include the men's offspring, who now number like 1,300 wow. and are in their 50s and 60s. And all that was to find out how early life experiences affected health and aging over time. You know, some participants went on to become successful businessmen, doctors, lawyers, and others ended up as, unfortunately, schizophrenics, you know, or alcoholics. So, you know, it goes across the board.
1: And during the the decades in between, the control groups have expanded. In the 70s, uh, around 450 Boston inner city residents were enlisted as part of another study, 40 of them are still alive. Over the years, researchers have studied the participants' health trajectories and, and their broader lives, including their triumphs and failures and careers, marriages. Um, and the findings have been startling, um, not only for the researchers, but hopefully it's something that we can share with you today as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Um, taking care of your body um, is important, but trending tending to your relationships is a form of kind of self care as well and and that's the revelation you know close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. The study revealed um, those close ties protect people's From, you know, life's discontents, you know, Um, they help to defray mental, physical decline. Um, They're better predictors of long and happy lives than the social class or IQ or even their genes. So finding that finding proved true across the board among both the harvard men and the inner city participants in these studies
1: yeah and so researchers um who have poured through the data and and including medical records and and in-person interviews and questionnaires found a strong correlation between men's flourishing lives and their relationships with family friends and community this is really interesting several studies found that people's level of satisfaction with their relationships at age 50 was a better predictor of physical health than their cholesterol levels were this is a quote from one of them. When they gathered together everything they knew about them about uh, about at age fifty, it wasn't their middle age cholesterol levels that predicted how old they were going to grow. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age fifty were the healthiest at age eighty. Wow, that's it's amazing. just interesting. It's just an interesting study that I mean, we often think it yeah. is oh, it's the genes or it's you know yeah. what I did when I was younger, but reality, it's a lot tied to, yeah, to relationships. that'll
0: make me less concerned about my cholesterol. Level. That's, <laughs> that's great. I that's the that. point of the article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the research has also found that marital satisfaction has a, productive, a protective effect on people's mental health. There you go. Not surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, part of the study found that people who had marriage happy marriages in their 80s reported that their moods didn't suffer even on the days when they had more physical pain. You know, those who had unhappy marriages felt both more emotional and physical pain. Those who kept warm relationships got to live longer, happier lives. And the loners often died earlier. Loneliness kills, it says, you know, as a powerful, it is as powerful as smoking or alcoholism, Mm. they're saying, um, which is amazing. Yeah, Mm. according to the study, those who lived longer and enjoyed sound, healthy Uh, Lives. They avoided smoking and alcohol in excess. Researchers also found that those with strong social support experienced less mental deterioration as they aged. In part of the recent study, researchers found that women who felt securely attached to their partners were less depressed and more happy in their relationships two and a half years later. Mm. And they also had better memory function than those with frequent marital conflicts. Good relationships don't just protect our bodies. They protect our brains. And those good relationships, they don't have to be smooth all the time. Some of the couples could bicker with each other, you know, day in, day out. Mm -hmm. But as long as they felt they could really count on each other um, when the going got tough, those arguments didn't take the toll on their memories.
1: Yeah, and in a book called "Aging Well," um, this gentleman in Valiant, one of the directors of the study, wrote that six factors predicted healthy aging for Harvard for the Harvard men: uh, physical activity, absence of alcohol, abuse, uh, absence of alcohol abuse and smoking, having mature mechanisms to cope with life's up and down, ups and downs, and enjoying both a healthy weight and a stable marriage. His research highlighted the role that these protective factors play in healthy aging. The more factors the subjects had in place, the better the odds they had for longer, happier lives.
0: Yeah, when the study began, nobody really cared about, you know, empathy or attachment, you know, back then. But the key to healthy aging is relationships. The study showed that the roles of genetics and long-lived ancestors proved less important to longevity than the level of satisfaction with relationships in midlife and now recognized as a good predictor of healthy aging. You know, those who were clearly train wrecks when they were in their 20s or 30s turned out to be wonderfully healthy sometimes. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, alcoholism and major depression could take a toll on people when they started their lives out as as stars, but in the end it would leave them as that, you know, train wrecks, um, again, because of the relationships. So pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, and to tie all this back into finance, you know, obviously we, we are a financial planning firm and we, we think that finances play a large part in these relationships. And what we mean by that is if you have a lot of debt and uh, it leads to a lot of marital strife, you know, focusing on getting out of the debt can help this relationship that this study has shown is very important. Uh, that's just one example, you know, that, that schooling can also help. Education is a big piece of this as well that the, edu- that the study went on to show. You know, just thinking through how can we make good decisions financially that lead into healthier relationships long term can be very beneficial for you and your family yeah
0: and your finances and this. your finances. <laughs> That's great, good, good topic. Okay, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yeah, and this prescription is um, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's it's kind of the Dave Ramsey debt snowball strategy, but uh, if you have you know five credit cards, we would not recommend paying off the largest balance first. You certainly can. but what we've seen to be successful and what Dave has seen is to pay off the lowest balance first. Pay that off and then use that payment that you were paying towards that, plus what you're already paying towards the second lowest balance and snowball that into it. Pay that off aggressively and keep doing that until all the debt is paid. Again, starting with the lowest balance and working your way up um, can be a good way to have those emotional wins as Mm -hmm. you're paying off your debt and it can be a very uh, effective way to do that. So that's your prescription of the week. Pay off debts from the lowest
0: balance to the highest balance. Employ the debt snowball. That's right. It's oh, powerful. I like, it. I like it. Very powerful. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. You can email us your questions or link to us there. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Gill Associates at 706 739 0725 thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week Children of all material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice none of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security all hosts are representatives of Richard Young associates a registered investment advisor